This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you on this second hour. We're going to continue a little bit with our social media breaking news theme and uh, living your life on social media. Also, uh, how couples can use friendly fighting and, and how to have an amicable divorce should you not be able to uh, get through that friendly fighting and must lovingly split, as we saw Jennifer Aniston do. Some bedazzling for you as well, an IBD, and uh, oh, uh, and how it affects your sexuality or inflammatory bowel disease, how that may affect your affect your sexuality and sexual self-esteem and the type of intelligence you need for a long marriage. But first and foremost, I'm going to go to the phone lines. I have Sean from Campbell River, British Columbia on the line. Hello, Sean. Hi, how are you this evening? Fine, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Great. I've just been out with the dogs for a nice, brisk walk. Lovely. Exercise is important for well, so much. They're, they're exercising me more than I am them. <laughs> That's who needs the exercise, actually. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Sleep. Intimacy. Well, I mean, I'm, Sexual I'm function. Up, everything. I'm coming up on 50, and it's, it's a realization that I'm not 20 anymore. But you can you can feel like fifty if you I mean feel like twenty if you exercise or That's thirty. What my doctor keeps telling me. Yes, your doctor is correct. <laughs> so um, your your discussion on social media was I I'm a social media professional by trade and I actually work with kids in, in high schools and middle schools and uh, I don't put a lot of uh, uh, water to uh, the polls and, and research studies and so on. Because you said that one research study said 116 people were, were interviewed. Well, Facebook has 2 billion users. This so is true. You, your cross-section is really small. That's right. One of the things that, that I came across in, in teaching just in my own town is there is such a difference in how the platforms are used, even between schools. Uh, so I've got two high schools in my community that are, uh, you know, less than 10 minutes apart by driving. But, you know, everything in my town is 15 minutes away. Mm-hmm. But the how the kids use it in one school is entirely different than how they use it in the other school because the demographic is entirely different. One's right. a little bit more middle-upper class, the other one's a little bit more working class. So how they use social media is, is greatly different. It is across the board with, with teens especially, it is their social communications tool. Mm-hmm. You actually see kids whose parents are saying, no, I don't want you on social media at all. It's unsafe. It's a horrible place. And they're the ones that get ostracized because they're not part of the social conversation. Exactly. So what you end up seeing is the, you know, the their social interaction has gone from what it was when you and I were kids, where we actually did have to get out and we would talk occasionally on the phone or what have you. And that would be limited to a certain number of hours a day to their world now, which is 24-7. They can talk to their friends anytime. They can get online with them at 2 o'clock in the morning and text each other. They can be with each other in the school, but on opposite ends and still have a conversation. So it is their primary social tool. You're absolutely right. When things go sideways is we as adults haven't taught them how to use it beyond being a social tool. So when they get out into the real world, 
they're expected to do more with these platforms than just be social. And, and it inevitably goes the wrong way for them. Uh, aren't they better they at, think about their lives. but aren't they better you at know. social media than we are? Number one. And number two, I'd love to know some of the differences, the differences in, uh, between those two high schools. Do you have any examples of what the kids in the upper middle class, um, demographic would do versus the kids in the slightly lower, uh, uh, social in, in class the, in the upper middle class side, uh, lower you know upper to uh, upper middle class to to upper class side of you know where parents are, are wealthy and and the kids have everything. Um, it's very much an Instagram type of environment, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, where it's very image based and and you find that uh, the the kids are very cognizant of what they look like, who they're with, and what they're doing. Whereas the, the lower middle class schools, the middle to lower middle class schools are tending to be more involved in Twitter. They like LinkedIn because that's where they're finding their jobs. Mm. And I, I teach LinkedIn to the, the planning 10 classes in, in both of these high schools. And the, the ones in the, uh, in the low, uh, middle to lower middle class schools are much more engaged with the LinkedIn platform than the ones in the because they have to find work. They understand that if this is a tool that's going to help them find work, that's where they're going. Interesting. And the ones who are it's like, well, yeah, you know, that's that's great, but can I show pictures of my friends? Um, when you see social media problems happening, it's more often than not happening in in the upper middle class school, simply because they are much more self involved. Now, I'm not saying that the lower middle class school is, is, is not also self-involved. I mean, they are teenagers, and teenagers by, by nature are some of the most narcissistic creatures on the planet. Absolutely. But the, the way that they, they utilize and they communicate uh, is, is so fundamentally different because their lives are different. And things that they have access to. Not everybody in this one school has a smart device. Everybody in the other school does have right. a smart device. Um, and, and when and they're allowed to use it, you know, some of them come from a hard scrabble home. Uh, and, and the others are kind of like, well, you know, I want to give you everything. So if you want this thing, go ahead and do it. Uh, my wife is a, is a vice principal in an elementary school and her, one of her concerns right now is she's got grade four and five students with smart devices uh-huh. uh, running around taking pictures for Instagram with uh-huh. no concept whatsoever as to what the potential ramifications are of having that content online and who they're connecting with online because it's very arbitrary. Right. Somebody says, hey, I want to connect with you. It's like, wait, I got a new friend. But you have no idea who that person is. And that's, that's what I said. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let me get you know. back to the LinkedIn. So these kids in high school are getting jobs on LinkedIn. So the perception, I mean, there's many perceptions about LinkedIn, and I, I don't pretend that it is exclusively a business um, or a professional platform. But kids are getting high school jobs on LinkedIn? Well, that was one of, the, one of my kind of highlights of, of teaching this class is, is I had one of the students come up to me uh, in, in September uh, after teaching the previous year. And he said, Mr. Smith, it was awesome. I was walking downtown. I saw an ad in this uh, in the store window saying, uh, you know, accepting resumes right now. And they gave an email address. And I used LinkedIn the way you showed me. And I sent him my LinkedIn profile. Ah. He was there. 
and he got the, the message on his phone and he kind of looked and he answered right away and he says, yeah, I'll bring your resume. You know, it's interesting to see that you've got your LinkedIn resume here. I'm just taking a look at it right now. And the kid texted back and says, I'm outside your door right now. <laughs> and it led to an interview. Wow. Um, so, I mean, the, the ability for kids now, uh, when I'm going into these classes and I'm showing them how to set up the, the LinkedIn profiles, it's, it's really a case of every planning 10 class does the traditional hard copy resume class. Where you're sitting there in Word and you're learning how to format, you're doing all these things. You're, and kids have a hard time thinking, what do I put into this? Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't got the experience. I haven't got anything interesting. But LinkedIn walks you through that process. Mm-hmm. So now they no longer have to say, well, what goes where? They simply have to answer the questions right. put in front of them. And by answering the questions, and one of the things that I also said to the students is, don't be the person that writes your profile, you know, because oddly enough, kids don't like talking about themselves on social media when it comes to something you know, quasi-official. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, you know, get your friends to tell you what you think, what they think of you, what, what's your high point, what's your skill set, what do they think you're good at, and then go from there. Take that information and turn it into your profile summary. And some of these kids are just really, really creative. But I think one of the things that they really enjoy the most is that they are able now to share uh, information that's online in their resume. So if they're part of a sports team, they can share the right. link on the newspaper post about how they did on a sports team. If, mm-hmm. they have, if they're you know, really into graphic design or game development, they can actually put their portfolio online and shared in their LinkedIn. So these kids who are really looking to do more down the road uh, are finding that LinkedIn is a, is a great tool for them. And yeah. as they go into university, now that the universities are starting to review social footprints and, mm-hmm. you know, what does your social footprint look like uh, you know, when it comes to things like scholarships, that's where it's at now. Uh, now they're starting to realize, well, you know, maybe I better clean up my social footprint. Right. Do you, this is a very general question, but you know, obvious differences between the upper, the middle class kids to the upper class kids versus the middle class to the lower middle class. Do you see a difference in uh, parents desiring to give their children everything uh, from a monetary perspective versus the kids who haven't necessarily had everything, you know, in a monetary way, they may have had other gifts, which I reviewed earlier uh, in the program that are non-monetary. Do you see different drives in kids today, different motivation, different desires to do well, succeed, give back in life? You know, it's really not any different than it was, you know, when you and I were in school. Uh, you know, the, the kid that had the parent that had everything didn't necessarily have the same drive as the kid who had to scrabble to make a, make mm-hmm. a life and a living. Uh, you know, I came from a, a very middle class family and I wasn't given everything, but I wasn't hurting either. Mm-hmm. But I was raised by parents to say, you want it, you earn it. Yeah. As simple as that. Yeah. Uh, I went to school with kids who, if you want it, I ain't giving it to you and you'll probably never get it because you're never going to amount to anything to the other end of the spectrum where whatever you want, you get. Right. Uh, so, I mean, that that aspect hasn't really changed, and social media isn't really having an impact on it insofar as having an effect on their lives. 
but it does open up the doors for kids to uh, be a little bit more vocal about what's happening around them. Right. We, you know, when we see, uh, when I see a kid online, you know, because I'm, I'm doing research on a fairly regular basis locally around the province, uh, if I see a kid that has very specific content on their site that is, raises my concern. I'll reach out to the to the school and say, mm-hmm. "Look, I, I've been looking at this stuff, and you know, I'm seeing some some not so positive themes in this commentary. Uh, it might be worthwhile just kind of saying, hey, how you doing?' Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so now we have a tool by which we can actually kind of get a better sense of what kids are doing and and you know, where they are and how they're acting and how they're reacting to certain things. I mean. I, I think one of the most telltale signs of uh, where social media has a, has a really positive impact on on teens is to see what the kids who survived the Parkland shooting are doing. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're actually changing a commentary that most people have not had any success. That's in right. Changing. Yeah, they're uh, certainly changing right. the dialogue. As of as of today, the the young woman who is is leading this charge, one of the survivors, currently now has more followers on Twitter than the NRA. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that can't be know, a bad she, thing. Listen, no, Sean, she, I really appreciate your contribution. It's been fantastic, but I believe we have to go to break. Um, but great points. Thanks for the great work that you do. I appreciate it. Check out my LinkedIn profile and let me know what I can do <laughs> to improve it. <laughs> I'll certainly do that. I've been there as long as you have. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Lots of different subjects on the program tonight. Uh, a little bit of a theme around social media. And once again, breaking news, Jennifer Aniston and Justin Thoreau, quote unquote, lovingly split. First, we had conscious uncoupling with Gwyneth Paltrow, but now we have a loving split. Allegedly, she knew he wasn't happy. Can you have an amicable divorce is my question. As I've said, I have been working with couples who have had the most acrimonious divorces I have ever heard of. So it's hard for me to even believe that something such as a loving split exists. But it might. Maybe you've had a loving split with your spouse. Give me a call if you have. Tell me all about that. It, you know, I believe in it. I think it's better to go that way. Divide everything in half, move on, no parental alienation, put the kids first. You know, there's a way to do this. But some people are just so stubborn, so irritable, so nasty, can't see beyond themselves, so selfish, hateful, deceitful, deceiving, sneaky, that they just can't do it. So that's what makes the world go round and makes it such a beautiful place. We have so many different people in the world. Anyway, um, you know, so it's... I think amicable parting is much better, especially for your children. So it's best to put them first in a divorce. I oftentimes get emails from people that literally make my heart pound when I hear these stories. I cannot believe it. And I'm going to share one with you. And then I'm going to go over, um, you know, just some ways how potentially uh, this couple could be helped, maybe utilizing friendly fighting. And if that doesn't work, then perhaps an amicable divorce. But here's the email that I received in my 
Inbox today. Dear Maureen, I'm 48 years old and was widowed in 2006. My husband had a brain tumor that metastasized to his spine. He went through a lot medically and died by suicide with a gun on our back deck after his last surgery in 2007. I started raising my three children, twin girls and a boy, ages four and six, on my own. I married again in 2013. My current husband has one child. I was also sexually abused as a child. Needless to say, I have intimacy issues. They, be, given the significant trauma with the death of, death of my first husband, I have had significant trauma with the death of my first husband. My current husband and I have struggled over the years of our marriage. We've been to counseling many times and are now filing for divorce again. It's a mess. I need help. Uh, my husband also has issues from his childhood and previous relationships that I feel he won't be honest about to see what he brings to our marriage that causes conflict and problems. I don't want to have a divorce. I love him. I want us to work through our issues. I feel like we've tried and we've tried. We've separated several times during our brief marriage, only to come back together and have the same issues haunt us. He says he can be unhappy by himself, and we can both be right, but not be right for each other. He also started showing a more feminine side of himself after we got married. He started wearing women's underwear, stated it's all the same material, just marketed for women. Men's underwear is made out of the same. He would only wear it at night to bed. He also is very meticulous about his appearance, takes two to three showers a day. He works in an office. He shaves his entire body, sits down to urinate, uses my face cream and lotions. I need help, Maureen. Hopefully you can provide some support. I'm Maureen McGrath. An answer to that when I come back. Welcome back to the final strokes of the program. We've got about a half an hour left. Lots of information to cover. Uh, if you were with me before the break, I was reading an email to you about uh, uh, marriage in trouble. Uh, it was a woman who was a widow. She was widowed in 2006 because her husband had taken his own life after diagnosis and treatment of a brain tumor. She went on to marry a man, uh, and she describes uh, lots of issues uh, in, in her childhood as well as his childhood, and, and now he's uh, expressing uh, femi- a feminine side, which is making her uncomfortable. He's, he's wearing uh, feminine underwear and um, also using her face cre- facial creams and, and showering several times a day. Um, he, she describes her husband. She says he was raised by his mother. Dad was in the picture, but it was traumatic, and he died because of alcohol abuse. He had a brother that is gay that, and another that has a family. He was married for 10 years at one time, and according to him, it was a good marriage, but uh, he experienced infidelity in the marriage. They also engaged in what this woman describes as kinky sex, um, and she said, uh, I'm a Christian. He is also, I don't agree with kinky sex, as I'm not strapping on a dildo and giving him anal sex, which I believe she did, his former wife did. He's not asked me to do this. He knows how I feel about that stuff. He has not exhibited any more behaviors that make me think he's homosexual. He talks about core values and teaching our children those. He's very successful in life and has run his own business for many years. I'm just confused on who he may really be, what he could be hiding or needing help with. I do know he's seeing a counselor, but not sure how honest he's being with them. 
because he wasn't prior to our marriage about these female tendencies. I think I'm grieving the idea of the marriage and what it could have been, but the reality is different. He's been good to me and my children in supporting us and trying to connect with them, but it's been difficult to say the least. Guess not enough dating time occurred to find these issues out. Any advice is appreciated. People get into marriages and they get into all sorts of troubles. Uh, The one thing that sticks out here um, for me, obviously, uh, which she mentioned, the intimacy issues, uh, likely as a result of sexual abuse of her as a child. And one would definitely need um, help with that. There are some resources. There's a book called The Courage to Heal by Laura Davis, and that's also um, in workbook form as well. Um, And so it's for women and men who are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. There's another book that I recommend for my patients. It's called I Never Told Anyone, and these are writings. Because oftentimes when people share their stories, they they help you because many people who have experienced sexual abuse feel that they are the only ones who have experienced that. But these are writings by women survivors of childhood sexual abuse. So she would definitely need help with that. Also, she mentions that he was that his father died by alcohol abuse, and so uh, he would be an adult child of an alcoholic. They have particular tendencies like false loyalties. They are prone to anxiety and depression. They may have sleep issues. Um, they have uh, issues trusting people uh, as well. They may have a tendency to be hyper-responsible or not responsible at all. They can also be perfectionists. So there are many uh, characteristics that adult children of alcoholics uh, have. They are also, um, uh, they have what is called alcoholic thinking. They can be egomaniacs with inferiority complexes. Um, So they're, you know, he sounds like he has a bit of a fetish, which is, you know, probably not as, um, you know, uh, bad as she feels that it is, you know, might get a bit of aroused wearing women's underwear. That's probably not the biggest deal that she, the biggest problem that she, that this woman has. Um, she does want to work it out. I advise against uh, one couple going to a particular therapist on their own to work out marital problems. It's, it's typically best if people go together. You can ha- then have separate appointments uh, and then come back together because sometimes you can't even be fully honest. And you also have to be able to trust that the counselor that you see or the therapist that you see, whomever it is, will not disclose anything that you've told to uh, your partner. So there has to be full-on trust um, in that therapist-patient relationship. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done here if they want to. She describes very good things about him. She's uncomfortable with his expression of his sexuality. Um, there, and, and she's not really sure about his past and if he expects there to be a different type of intimacy, a higher level of play, if you will, in the relationship. Um, but, of course, that is communication. So this is not something that can be solved in an email, but um, there needs to be intense therapy. Uh, so there are ways you can respectfully fight. <laughs> you you know, no two people are going to get along swimmingly all the time, especially in a marriage when you're dealing with parents and in-laws and kids and schooling and finances and food and vacations and, and everything. So um, they, you know, you don't really have to fight about these things. You're going to have differences and there are going to be arguments that will bring both sides down and, and, 
you know, things can get personal. There, you know, there are strategies that um, I refer to as friendly fights that can help you resolve a conflict before you really drag things through the mud. Um, And there are things you want to stay away from, and those are making threats, name-calling. You never want to name-call your spouse. It's so disrespectful. And swearing, either. I I don't believe that's uh, something that is healthy in a relationship. You never want to attack your spouse's personal character, and you never want to make accusations or false accusations in particular. Rather, you want to embrace conflict. Understand that that is going to happen. Focus on the issue, not the person. You may want to you know, go to a point of you agree to disagree. But you, it's more important, instead of speaking, it's so much more important to listen and listen respectfully. Keep your voices down. There's no reason to raise your voice when you have a conflict with your partner or your spouse. You know, this is not healthy for children either. Children absorb this. It makes them nervous. It makes them upset. Um, it, it, it teaches them that this is okay. I had a um, patient who told me that, yeah, he never realized that um, – uh, spout, you know, a couple, married couple, could be respectful toward one another when they disagreed. He went on vacation with another family, and the the mother had given the wrong directions to the father, or something like that. And the the boy was shocked that that father didn't slap the mother for um, for not providing the correct directions or telling him to take a wrong turn. That was what he was raised with. Children learn what they live. So remember, your kids are listening; they can hear it, they can absorb it. When you are in conflict with your partner, remain curious. Do not get defensive. It's really hard not to get defensive. Nobody wants to be imperfect. Everybody wants to do the best that they can. You want to ask for specific examples from your partner or your spouse as to what is bothering them. And you know what? you got to believe them. Sometimes people just don't believe them, and they, they're, they're getting all upset, and their mind is stressed, and their brain is stressed, their brain is stressed, And they can't absorb this information. You want to find points that you can both agree upon, or as I said, disagree upon. We agree to disagree on this. Make small concessions, and you want to make peace with one another, especially before you go to bed. And, you know, there's some ways you can intuitively communicate with each other. You know, being grateful, being so uh, thankful for even small things that your spouse does or that your partner does. Is, will go a long way in a relationship. Say thank you. Um, it, you know, if you know that your partner is trying to help you, it's much easier to resolve differences at another time when you know that they are grateful for what you do. Don't ever say anything that is so damaging that it can put an end to the relationship. And I had a couple in my clinical practice once. He went on a business trip and she, he had put up with a lot, I'm, I am going to say. Like one day he said he got a call from his um, sister who was, who was doing, uh, he was, she was the, uh, doing the finances. She was the financial officer for the company. She said he, got, he said he got a call from his sister who said, your wife just called me and she wants me to give her $56,000. She's buying a car. And he said, from the company, and he said, give it to her. I mean, he was pretty easy. And uh, there were lots of problems. She had issues with alcohol use and abuse. They had four kids. 
Um, and but he did everything for her and the kids. And then finally, the last straw was he went on a business trip. And when she came home, when he came home, sorry, she said to him, I wish your plane had gone down. That would have made my life easier. The marriage ended, needless to say. That was his tipping point. You never want to say something that is so damaging that it can put an end to your relationship. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.